Live from the land of sweets, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to your premier podcast on storytelling, Dear Old Trains of Thought. My name is Timothy Deal. My name is Nick Hayden. And we come to you tonight from a very merry place. Yes, this is a nice place to be. It is. It's uh, it's interesting. At one moment, it's very chill. Another moment, it's lively and happening. But it's always very sweet. Yeah. But And lots of nationalities here, too, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah it's... Let's let's say you know there's there's good places and bad places and this is one of the good ones. That's that is true. And uh, by the way, Merry Christmas! Nick. Yes, Merry Christmas to you. It's nice to be someplace sweet and that we can literally like. I feel like this landscape is just I could just eat it up. Yeah, can the podcast bring our families here? <laughs> that could be dangerous, you know. Well, that's yeah. There might not be. This might be a little tension here and there, but I mean, just dangerous for your kid's sweet tooth. You know? Well, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of cookies in my house, anways. So, oh, okay. <laughs> at the at the moment, yeah, it is. It is that time of year. Yeah. So, what are your plans for uh, Christmas season? Uh, we'll go as normal uh, skiing, skiing with a whole extended family. Yep. Nice. So, up it's in Michigan. Up in Michigan. Sounds fun. I'm, our family doesn't really go on vacation, but it's going to be an interesting year with uh, uh, another married couple. Yes. So that means another set of in-laws to deal with. And I think we're going to have Christmas like the Sunday before, like during the day. Okay. So we were saying we, were, we should probably like, even though we'll probably be doing it like in the afternoon, we should put on all our pajamas. and Yeah, but yeah you got to. Get, in the, the, get in the right mood. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, we are here for episode 94 of your premier podcast on storytelling. I don't know if I said that before, but this is where we are talking about all matter of stories. And we've had some very uh, lively podcast discussions in the past. This time will be a little different, but it still will begin with Story School. For Story School, this time around, we are going to talk about silence. Silence. (laughs) See what I did there? I did. That was very nice. Okay. So, Nick, how does silence factor into storytelling? That's a large question. Let's take another (laughs) 20 minutes and talk it out. Okay. So that's what we're here for. (laughs) Anyways, I I first thought of this topic when reading The Wizard of Earthsea. Mm. You don't always think of silence in books. Yeah. But near the end of the book, he's on this... He's getting away from all civilization. He's going out to the far edges of the sea. Because Earth Sea, it's a big deal. The it's basically a, the world is a whole set of islands. Yeah, for the most part. And just the atmosphere that um, Ursula Gwen creates is just this silence, this sort of not oppression, but just this you know away from everything. Mm-hmm. And it comes through this this sort of loneliness, this sort of barrenness, this sort of un- unique you know. It's him alone. In the mass emptiness yeah. of the And it just sea. made me think that that was a very unique thing I, I had experienced in the book and made me start thinking about the role of silence, both in books and, and in movies. And sometimes it's just that sort of like, it's me versus the world. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just that. It's, he's literally trying to get away by himself because he, he's meeting his doppelganger out there. Yeah. Um, so he's trying to get his, alone. His dark self. Is yeah, his dark self. Yeah. yeah. So, it's, I mean, so it's very kind of philosophical and everything, even to kind of be away from 
civilization and all this, these things. But as I was thinking about silence, sometimes that sense of barrenness, you know, space. Mm-hmm. No, in certain in certain science fiction movies, it would just be silence when you're in space. Would you think it fair to say that there are definitely sort of positive connotations of silence in the story and negative connotations? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's barrenness, like, you know, this sort of alienness, this sort of like there's nothing alive here, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, wa- the wasteland. And then there's sort of um, like deep meaning, silence. Okay, the thing that came to mind was, there's this wonderful phrase in Revelation that says, and there was silence in heaven for half an hour after like he opens the last scroll or something like that. Uh-huh. And you're just like, whoa. You know, like it's basically like singing all the time and all this other stuff for most of the book. And suddenly and it was silent in heaven for half an hour. That does that does really paint a picture, doesn't it? It does. An audio picture. but <laughs> And there's and there's, you know, there's that silence has a lot to do with ceremonies, with holiness, mm. with, mm-hmm. um, you know, there'd be the movie. Like, I think this happened in I think it was Last Jedi when they they hyperspace through the. Through the Star Destroyer. It's like, it's silent. And the whole audience gasps. Cause it's is like, that you, you you tend to emphasize important moments like, sometimes by dropping out all the sound. Yeah. It could be a very dramatic moment in, in a lot of things, even in silent movies. Exactly. Because silent movies are generally not even silent. They're not very se. silent. They're actually quite peppy sometimes. Yeah, a lot of the music going on. which and Because silent movies were often done with... a a live pianist playing the the music to the, go along with it, they could time that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time, but did I ever tell you that I once went to a s- actual silent movie theater in Los Angeles? I don't know. It was when I was in my film studies program out there. I, I, I hear, I was looking it up online to see if it was still around, and I guess it just closed temporarily, wow. hopefully last year. But yeah, it was an actual silent movie theater that they had when I was there. The guy is, I don't know who, if he's even around anymore, but he was a guy who was skilled in doing this and, and playing along with the music. And um, we watched Sunrise, which I know is one of the movies that Brian had suggested to us a long time ago. Okay. Um, I haven't seen it again. But a very dramatic, silent movie. And I wish I could say for certain if there were moments like that where <laughs> he just dropped it out. But yeah. I, but you know the pianist could have done that. Mm-hmm. But and you see that in, mo- in other movies all the time. Yeah, so I think, that, you know, science has different feelings depending on you know the context you know sometimes it's that's a very dramatic kind of emphasis of a of a moment and again you know i think life in general is noisy that's true and silence tends to you know tend to be in some ways a natural unnatural unnatural Yeah, yeah i mean in both either it's because it's you know there's nothing around which is bad or there's because everyone's being hushed for some reason yeah a lot of people get very uncomfortable when it's mm-hmm. quiet for too long. I mean, sometimes that's considered a, a fault, a, a problem in our current society because we're so noisy that we never give ourselves the silence to think, mm-hmm. to process things. And again, it's a different kind of silence than dramatically. You know, just being quiet doesn't necessarily mean there's there's no sound altogether. That's, yeah. that's probably the most unusual thing. Usually even in our houses we have heaters going or the refrigerator yeah. or some there's some level of sound somewhere well i guess as a story convention you have quiet which is you know your your pastoral moments your peaceful mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. your reflective moments and then you have silence which is nothing you, know, you kicked it up a notch yeah which is you know usually something unusual either almost religious in some ways or 
Or, or it's like or, in a horror movie. Or, well, that, yeah. that, that, there was that movie earlier this year that neither one of us saw, I don't think. But yeah. what was it called? A Quiet Place? I believe so, yeah. Where I guess the entire thing was that the monsters, zombies, I don't even know what it was. Anyway, the, the bad things would come out if you were too noisy. Yeah. So I've, I've heard lots of stories, people on Twitter saying, I've never been so conscious of my popcorn eating in my <laughs> life. Because <laughs> they, they use that quiet space just so effectively yeah. that you got really, really scared if you heard any noise. I suppose that's interesting be that quiet tends to be like peace tends to be your, 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 your Miyazaki moment, your, mm. your traveling moment. Um, you know, in books you'll be, you won't have dialogue. You'll just have your sort of description, you know, your, what the land looks like or the sun going down, the sort mm. of like, ah, mm-hmm. and that's very useful in books for both pacing and just for help slow things down and also kind of uh, take cr- stock of where the character is and, and help create, you know, the, the rhythm that you might want for the book. I think sure. silence is very useful and quiet for the rhythm of a book. Mm-hmm. You know, music, silence is a rhythm too, you know, like the pauses and, well, even write scripts, you'll have like dialogue and then, <laughs> we, I've been doing this youth podcast thing called uh, From the Beginning, if you want to look it up on iTunes. Yeah. It's an advent um, We'll podcast. probably talk more about it yeah, later. But um, like in the scripts, I'll say beat in, in parentheses, which means pause. And they're like, what are we doing here? I'm like, you're taking, you're, you're Taking a break, you, you need the, it's emphasis yeah. by not saying anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a moment to kind of process what came before and then mm-hmm. transition to what comes next. Yeah. That's a very important thing for uh, obviously for the the kind of podcast scripting you're doing. Yeah, but even in in a lot of plays, you know, regular yeah. screenplays, you you will see that because they sometimes you just kind of need that quiet moment to process, move on to the next point. And it's interesting how much editing this podcast, I'll like just add like a half a second space that wasn't there. Just mm-hmm. and it just feels better. Now I'm not an expert at the editing, but it helps. You know, that's you know the thing that actors know real well. How do you make that let linger just long enough? Sure. And that's one thing I I am experimenting with editing this podcast all the time because I sometimes will cut out long pauses when we were like searching for a thought or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have to be careful not to take out too long of, of a pause because then it, uh, it doesn't feel natural. It just yeah. feels like we were just rushing through all these random thoughts. Yeah, you, you need a little bit of that, even if it's just half a second, mm-hmm. that just that right amount of pause to kind of reflect and then move on. And it helps the, the audience reflect. Give them a moment to process What's happening? Mm-hmm. I mean, not just on podcasts, but in movies and you know. Yeah, what was said, what was done. Yeah, to laugh. Yes, yeah, <laughs> a laugh. Yeah, you need sometimes you need a little laugh break. I mean, that's what actors and plays do that all the time. You know, they know stop talking while they finish laughing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and sometimes this is an interesting thing. I was thinking when I was thinking about this this week. Some comedians will also use that silence to bring more laughs out. Mm-hmm. Like I remember that being when I was back when I was reading up on older comedians. Some critics criticize Red Skelton, a TV comic, for laughing at his own jokes a lot of times, <laughs> yeah. whereas a more refined comedian like Jack Benny would, he'd not crack a smile at anything he'd say at all. He'd just kind of stare at the audience like, what are you laughing at? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm being perfectly rational here, yeah. but it's not actually a punchline at all. And I think there's there's certainly something to either way. Red Skelton laughing at his own jokes just shows that he was having fun. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's completely different kinds of styles of comedy. Okay, here's another kind of aspect of silence. The silent character. Mm. Or yeah. the quiet character. What, the, what do you think that helps communicate versus a, a garrulous person? 
Well, it, it is something different. I mean, it, it could give you, if it's someone like Harpo Marx, then it basically helps them emphasize, instead of witty dialogue, like Groucho, it emphasizes physical comedy mm-hmm. and stuff and what you can you do visually. So there's that aspect of it. Other times, if you have a more serious character, and even even Harpo at times, like if he was playing a song or something, he could, you know, he it taps into a little bit more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, the, the, like the sad, the sad tramp character. Okay, yeah. You know, a, a little bit more pathos by being quiet. And I think you also get a certain amount of weight when they talk. Then, mm. um, both in like more serious things, like you know, the mentor, the 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 wise old sage. Sometimes, yeah. Or like Ferb. Yeah, I was Ferb. <laughs> he doesn't say anything except for like maybe one line per episode. So, and then it's usually the one of the funniest. Yeah, that you know, there's this counter counterbalance between speaking and not speaking of how much you pay attention yeah the people who uh blabber on i mean that can be a, a certain character quirk but yeah. the people who don't say anything and then say something then you really pay attention yeah. to what they have to say which so, is probably what you just said but i just said it in another way that works <laughs> this is a podcast we don't can't quite get away with that <laughs> that sort of character <laughs> for some reason i this is apropos of nothing so you can cut it out but i was thinking between silence and talking a lot you have people like um Masato from Evangelion, who okay. originally didn't talk. She was traumatically, you know, she couldn't talk because she was of trauma. Mm-hmm. And then she like compensated, overcompensated for it with with talking about yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, blabbermouth. I guess so. It's just interesting. Maybe you can cut that. But <laughs> we have had Ava on the mind lately for some reason. Yeah, it's coming to Netflix. Yeah, and it brought on all kinds of feelings. That's like the only show I feel like the idea of watching it again gives me stress. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea of watching the first half makes me excited. The second half, I'm not sure I want to tackle again. <laughs> like the first, anyways. Yeah. Um, neither here nor there. Though, like episode three, when Sinji runs away, there's a lot of silence in that episode. Yeah. We talk about long, you mentioned the long pause in heaven, that long pause of him holding that guy in that one episode. Oh, in the, like, the like, whether, last episode. Yeah, near to the end where he's deciding whether to kill the guy or not, yeah. where it's like silent, except for the music for yeah, like, oh, to Joey. Yeah, for like half a minute. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yes. Anyways, um, so we got, we went a long way from talking about the the silent pathos of a silent character yeah. to uh, the, to the opposite of that. What about movies in general where uh what, like what if you were to compare a lot of people like the beginning of Wally more than no the talking. second half. Yeah, cuz it's kind of unusual. It's kind of artsy in that way. I think the thing with silence in a visual medium is that like we've talked in our in our visual versus written mm-hmm. podcast there's a certain amount of ambiguity to visual. I mean, I, yeah, you get to read into it. Mm-hmm. And dialogue in, tends to ground it to a certain extent. That's true. Yeah. Um, so the silence gives it more room to be artistic. You, The more artsy a movie, and I think the less dialogue it probably has. Mm. I could be wrong on that. That's just a guess. I mean, there's. I think there's a certain amount to that because... Or shorter dialogue, less explaining di- and more... Yeah. yeah. The the artsy films don't like their heavy exposition. That's mm-hmm. much more of a genre sort of thing. But it's true, especially film that the artists, the critics really wants to be visual. You know, I think I've talked before about sometimes trying to cut down on the amount of dialogue. Just they should focus on one of their strengths, which is the visuals. Yeah. Silent movies obviously had to rely on that. So I mean, yeah, there's definitely a certain 
power to it. Now, kind of like how we've been saying how si- sometimes silence is a is a warm, thoughtful sort of thing. Other mm-hmm. times, it, it can come. I think it can sort of come off feeling kind of cold and passive mm-hmm. in a movie, particularly. Yeah, if you're talking these like like some of your minimalist sorts of European movies where yeah. the they don't have a lot of sometimes they don't have a whole lot of soundtrack orchestration. It's you know if you get sometimes these much more minimalist. They tend to be more realistic, a little more. Yeah, and and sometimes the there's been movies I've seen I can't think of a name offhand where like the silence, the lack of music, even because even like in Wally, there's still music and lots of sound effects. Yeah, yeah. but like when you pull all the music out and you just have like people walking around. There's just this sense of alienation, of isolation, of like... Isolation, that's a good word, um, yeah. I, su- I suppose there's actually probably parts in the Bourne identity that are like this, or some of the Bourne movies. It's been a while, although I, I, the, I, the problem with that comparison is that the camera is hardly ever silent in that. That's true. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm thinking, well, if, if I'm thinking the right movie, it would have been a, one of the later ones. Which but. is an interesting... I, I don't know that I'd thought about this before, but sometimes there's even a difference, even when we're not talking sound... Sometimes a picture can be can be noisy. That's true. Like you can certain scenes and like say Howl's Moving Castle, certain things about inside Howl's room, for example. It's not a particularly loud scene, but loud, but Howl's sense of decor is very yeah. loud. <laughs> that, that can be very purposeful visually, whether things are kind of a jumble of things or whether that's kind of this more very sparse, sparse blank slates. You know, like. You know, if you have some science fiction show and it's like everything's that kind of like glaring white and there's no soundtrack and you just hear like people walking, you know, it just mm. adds mm. to that sort of sterilization yeah. in some of these science fiction films. Or a kind of a dead feeling. Yeah. Depending, again, you can use the silence visually or orally in many different ways. Well, because, you know, the flip side from that sort of speaking of dead, you know, like funeral scenes yeah. are often... Very silent, you know, kind Maybe of... Maybe some rain. Some rain, and, you know, it's just that sort of, like... Because that's how, well, that's how real funerals tend to be, you know, just kind of silent and, mm. you know... You're muted. Like, like, muted, like, should I even talk? You know, there's certain situations, like, yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I mean, sometimes, and we're circling around, but, like, the dramatic version of silence is almost as, is almost as powerful as a gunshot. Mm. It's like a reverse, like, boom. It's like, and... Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, like that, someone, someone gets shot, you know, some hero gets shot and there's just this. Th- yeah. I think there's, I, I watched uh, Casacogliostro recently again. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he gets shot. There is th- a moment like that where like the soundtrack pauses for pause, a second. Just for a second. And then the plane comes over and yeah. it's ca- ca- It's like a audio slow-mo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Except it is, it's not like an actual audio slow-mo where it's just like. <laughs> no, it's like just. But it's. It's like the gunshot, and then it's just like it's time freezes. Nothing for any, yeah, yeah. Another useful trick. So it's a, so silence is like punctuation in some ways. Oh, that's a good way to put it. I mean, it, it can be. Well, I'm sometimes more literally than others. I mean, mm-hmm. like beats are essentially kind of a punctuation in the script, like what we were yeah. talking about earlier. But other times, it's much more of a bigger force, bigger feature. You know, the only thing we have talking about silent characters. There's the video game silent protagonist. Where the person doesn't say, like Chrono and Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. Or Link and uh, Link, Zelda. where they don't say anything. And the idea, I think, is that in a more um, participatory medium, mm-hmm. is for you to identify with them. Because they don't say, speak so that you're supposed to, and it works to varying degrees. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I've never fully bought into it. 
maybe this is one reason why I've never been too invested in Zelda. For because mm-hmm. I feel like if I want a story in a game, I want a story. It's yeah. kind of hard to do that with a blank character. Yeah, it's never worked. I mean, I get it, but yeah, it's never been like, oh, no, I feel like this is me. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I understand that's the idea, but I don't. It it doesn't. I mean. I think Mario is a lot more fun because he has, you know, his, hey, oh, it's a me, a Mario. <laughs> you know, everyone can imitate Mario. Yeah. How do you imitate Link? All you do is, ah, 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 you know. <laughs> or that, what's that weird game, like, excuse me, Prince. You ever seen that? <laughs> no, that's that's the cartoon, actually. The cartoon, was, I thought, because there's like this weird. Yeah, there's a weird Phillips. Uh, Phillips okay, it's not from that. It's from the cartoon. It's from the cartoon, okay. that, that catchphrase. Well, excuse me, princess. Which is, yeah, not yeah, that's endearing. At all, yeah, no, the Phillips CDI that's yeah, it's also weird, it's also weird, but in a completely different way. Like, <laughs> the cartoon is just kind of 80s cheesiness, the the Phillips thing, it's like Waluigi kind of <laughs> insane insanity, <laughs> a not silent character, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, very derailed, today. okay? So, we've talked a lot about visual media, I mean, that's a lot easier. Say you're a creator, how do you? create silence in a in a written medium well it's tricky because it's not completely silent unless you have like actual blank pages in your book which, which i'm sure someone does but i think it probably does but i think it would also kind of just come off as gimmicky yeah um i guess it, it is much more in that case it'd be more about the atmosphere in creating that sort of silent atmosphere i think is not easy hmm. like like i said i hadn't i don't i can't think of a lot of examples i mean earth did a great job i think there's scenes in Tolkien. I was just thinking Tolkien. Like but, maybe the, the one where um Sam and Frodo are asleep and then Gollum comes and it, it feels like a very quiet, very introspective moment. I think you have to be a, a, one of those uh one of those writers, not necessarily, but one can do a lot better with the with the nature. I'm reading The Ivy Tree right now. Mm-hmm. It's part of our book club, but there's a scene kind of a moonlit sort of like she's walking through this kind of overgrown garden sort of thing. Talking about plants, I don't know. Um, but does a pretty good job of getting that sort of like... The, I think the trick for writers is to to create a scene that makes people remember what it was like to be someplace silent. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Especially since you have to be careful. You know, certain... If you go too flowery into scenes of description, some readers will just skip over yeah. it. Yeah. will skim over it. It's more making you get in touch with those moments you've had when it was all by yourself. Yeah. I know... I, That'd be a good way to. I, to I remember think trying about it in it. Story Project one time. Um, Lance Valentino took this day. I think the uh, thing called the Sabbath, and he just sits at the beach all day trying to be silent before God. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it worked, but that was kind of the idea. There's definitely certain scenes in real life that help evoke that sort of silence, like snow falling, snowfall, that, late night, late night kind of thing. Yeah, um, I think I think the ocean can for people that in some ways in certain. I mean, not like. Not like summertime, but I mean like light waves. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. And I guess I never thought of that, but yeah, if you want to create that atmosphere, it's really about reminding people, Mm -hmm. anchoring it in a setting that they're familiar with or something similar that they can kind of paint the picture in their mind of what it might be like. Yeah. The moon, for some reason, Mm -hmm. makes people think silent. Mm -hmm. Again, probably because if you're staring at the moon, it's probably a quiet night. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those parts of storytelling you don't often notice unless, you know, it's the dramatic version. Right. But it's, it's part of the palette of a creator. Mm-hmm. And I guess the question, too, is why do you have those little pondering moments? I think it's, 
I mean, the Bible says for a reason, be still and know that I am mm-hmm. God. And it doesn't have to just be a, a moment about God, although those are certainly good, but just kind of those moments to sit back and take stock, even mm-hmm. in our real life, yeah. that, that's a healthy thing to do. So it makes sense that in a story, sometimes you need to, I, again, and we we, met, we we touched on this, to, to refocus, kind of look back on where we are, reestablish the world around yeah. us, because sometimes we get lost in our yeah. own internal world. And I think most good, say, like action movies have those moments. They'll have a moment where, like, they'll take a break between the one action scene and the next action scene. Sure. Sometimes, I mean... Sometimes just for the so the hero can bandage so, up his own wounds. Sometimes just ex- exposition and let's talk and make this, you know, this romance work and whatever. But, you know, in some really good ones, it's like, why are we doing this? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. So keep that, maybe keep that in mind for your next book or your next movie, whoever is listening, creators. Yes. Silence is a useful thing. And this time, of year, this may sound like a strange topic for Christmas, but, you know, it's a very busy time of year. We could all u- use that break to kind of get away and refocus. I think we all want to envision Christmas involving a moment of just just sitting there, the lights and the and the reason for, you know, just sort of thing. The fireplace. The fireplace, yeah. Yeah. We, we long for that more than we often do. Mm. <laughs> Especially if the holidays are... At a particularly stressful time of year. Maybe, maybe that's a good reason for silence to be in stories, to remind us that we want that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can think of, like, even uh, Christmas specials like uh, Garfield Christmas. Uh, some of my favorite moments of that are these, like, quiet moments, like they're going off to sleep on Christmas Eve or Garfield in a corner with with the grandma character just kind of reminiscing. And it, it comes up, I think it comes up at a lot of Christmas specials. That's true. Even. Like, I mean, Charlie Brown certainly has... You know, they're just walking around and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we even our movies tend to be paced at this hectic <laughs> speed nowadays. Mm-hmm. Many of them. Many of them. But I think in, I think you could say oh, there's a lot of some of the best Christmas specials have mm-hmm. kind of that moment to, uh, I don't know, there's just something inherently magical about Christmas anyway that I think the silence really services really well. Yeah. So with that said, we will be silent for a moment and then go into soundtrack. <laughs> Okay, so for my soundtrack, uh, I picked something from Pokemon X. I don't actually know any Pokemon music. Really. I was wondering if this is actually our first Pokemon I, soundtrack. I think it might be. Which is kind of crazy considering this is episode 94. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not as tuned into that music. I didn't play those games very much. Now your son probably will be someday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but this is called Thy Everlasting Winter Wind Blows, um, remixed by Timaeus222. And it has sort of a very laid back wintry sort of feel it's actually from the album esther's dreams which is a collection of kind of very lullaby-ish songs that were written for um dj pretzel's daughter dj pretzel being the uh founder of oc remix Mm -hmm. yes very nice let's take a listen
Well, that was very soothing. Nick. It was. It was nice. So, do you think you're going to go listen to more Pokemon music now? I'll probably eventually. Yeah, <laughs> one of these days. There's a, there's a lot out there. Yeah, and seeing the rain has a lot of it. Singing. Oh, insane singing in the, the rain. rain the yeah. YouTube channel. Yeah. I thought you said singing in the rain. It's like I don't think that has Pokemon. Nope. nope no, probably that, not that movie. Okay. Nope. All right. Now let's go into our second half with some bits of story. So yes, uh, it's a little unusual version of a bit of story that we have for you today. We thought we'd do something different for Christmas and kind of just kind of capture this sort of um, season. Yeah. Again, it's a different kind of topic, so this will be quite different from what we did uh, last December. But we decided to do kind of a, uh, a group of stories for a bit of story. Uh, and this will be some by, read by us, some read by some colleagues. Mm-hmm. This first one, Nick, what is this? Do you have a name for this monologue? It's from the the original Christmas play, A Baby Jesus Christmas. So this is one of the plays that you did with your youth? Yes. And one of my youth, uh, Marcy Trish, did it for a monologue for her acting class. And I said, hey, will you record that for us? So um, it's kind of very Nickian, gets us into the kind of pensive Christmas idea. And then we kind of go on from there to a couple other flesh fictions. Yeah, we've got three of your first fictions, I think, and then the very last one is almost more of a, not really an essay, a blog post, I don't know, some thoughts from Dr. Zayacek, who is one of the characters in the story project. So we're hoping that this collection will kind of get, kind of have a, a movement towards you know, silence and thoughtfulness about Christmas. And what it means, and, um, you know, just, again, like we said, Christmas can be a very busy, hectic time of year, and uh, hopefully this uh, set of stories will inspire you to seek out the quiet moments as well. Last year, about this time, my father died. I won't go into the details. If you listen to anyone long enough, they have a sad story. That's mine. I'm not unique. I'm just a girl that wants to cry while everyone's smiling and singing. This child, this baby, he's the reason for this season, apparently. We give gifts and sing songs and wish each other Merry Christmas. Outside, it's dark and cold and nasty, but we eat good food and arrange a colorful cast of characters around this little child. I don't get it. I can't. I feel like a traitor, like an alien, walking among all the lights and decorations, seeing the stores full and everyone dressed in gaudy greens and reds. I'm dead inside. There's a glass between me and the world. This frivolity of wrapped boxes and singing animals and family niceties is so thin and so very far out of reach. I just, I just can't. It makes me angry all these happy people, and it makes me sad, and it leaves me confused and hopeless and alone. Last night I lay in bed. I don't know what time it was. Ten past forever. And I remembered suddenly last year's Christmas service. I remember it passed over me like background noise. Then we rose. Everyone stood but me. 
and they began to sing loud, so loud, joy to the world. I remember a shiver running through me. Something had penetrated my shell, something beyond words, something like an echo of the joy the song meant to communicate. It was something different than I remember Christmas feeling before. And I want to feel it again. This baby, this flimsy prop, this is what I think Christmas was to me before. Just a play pretend, just a dress-up tea party, just a series of funny moments and happy days. Friends and family and good food, all happy and bright. Things aren't that way for me anymore. That's all changed. This baby Jesus is just a Christmas carol, a stand-in for good vibrations. I have this secret desire. I want to take this doll, and I want to get a hammer, and I want to raise it up above my head against a wall or a door somewhere, and I want to drive a nail into it. (sighs) That makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? I'm sure it makes me a horrible person, but I can't abide in this precious moment, Jesus. I need something stronger than a baby who doesn't cry. Because I hurt, and this is a terrible world sometimes. And there's no hope bowing down to a sweet little thing. But I think of this mutilated doll pounded against a door somewhere, and it helps me see beyond all the things we want to what I need. I can't give my pain to a baby. I can't give it all my horrible thoughts and petty desires. Who would do that to a baby? But that's what we did. We talk about being as innocent as a baby. That's what Jesus was, at the very least, innocent and so much more. And we killed him. We weren't bowing down offering gifts. We flogged him and beat him and nailed him. Die, we said, die. And he did. Joy to the world. I can't look at the full stable anymore without wanting the empty grave, needing it. The nativity can't hold the weight of my sorrows, but the cross can. I realize now that I didn't really understand Christmas, not when I could feel it. But now that I can't, now that all that is light and good and fun seems so far away, I think I do, at least a little. So I stand here like a sore thumb, like a sermon in the middle of a party or a corpse in the birthing chamber. I can't apologize, but I hope you'll forgive me for ruining your fun. And for what it's worth, Merry Christmas, truly. Ring the bell. Bitter winds slashed me as I opened the car door. I struggled out into the tempest and slammed the door behind me. Wind and snow struck my face. For a moment, I couldn't breathe. Blinking, I made out the general form of Walmart, lowered my head, and shuffled forward, wary of ice. Tonight, of all nights, my wife insisted on some ingredient for some pie she planned to bake for the gathering tomorrow. Through the whistling, moaning wind, I heard the bell ringing, ringing, ringing. I hated the bell ringers. No, I didn't have any change. Don't look at me that way. No, I won't feel guilty. It's a blizzard. 
Give it up already. The wind threatened to knock me over. My cheeks burned and my fingers ached. I needed new gloves. Ring, ring, ring. I could see her now through the curtain of snow. A red-cheeked, bright-eyed high school girl doing a little dance as she rang the bell. She saw me too. Hey, mister! I ignored her and pressed forward. Hey, I just need to talk to you for- No change! I shouted. Uh, If I could just have a second of your- No! I screamed. No, no, no. How many times did I have to listen to the people beg for money? Just a few dollars, they said. Imagine, for the price of a cup of coffee a week, they said. I'd given my share. Enough was enough. I stalked towards the girl, not quite rational, ready to give her a piece of my mind. I opened my mouth. A gust of wind stole my breath. Smiling, the girl handed me her bell and ran inside. A faint glimmer of music shimmered through the air as my hand dropped. I stood, nearly frostbitten, for ten seconds, flabbergasted, before slipping into her little red shelter. Back to the wind, I found a half-dozen mostly empty styrofoam cups of once-hot chocolate. I set the bell on the little shelf and turned to leave. From inside the box, I could view the storm almost as through a window. The gray-blue swirl of snow, the parking lot lights floating like obscure suns above, a dark figure stumbling toward me. He was a lone shadow in a harsh world. I grabbed the bell, hesitated, then shook it. A peal of golden melody sprang forth. The figure looked in my direction. It was another harried husband trying to rush past. Merry Christmas, I said too softly. The automatic doors opened, and he was inside. A few minutes later, the girl returned. Thank you, she said. Steam rose from the cup in her hands. You need another cup of cocoa? No, I really had to go to the bathroom. This is just a bonus. You could have just left. My anger had cooled to a few embers of annoyance. No way. You gotta keep ringing the bell, especially on a night like tonight. It reminds people. I just looked at her. She grinned, snatched the bell from my hand, and rang it in my face. Merry Christmas! She said cheerfully. Merry Christmas, I said. I stood a moment before the automatic doors as they opened, not quite ready to come in from the cold. The White Expanse Molly stepped out into the winter cold and started walking. The snow crunched beneath her boots and thin flurries swept up at her coat's hem. Her gloves were thin, but if she curled her fingers into her palms, they kept warm enough. Her snug house slid behind, her husband getting ready for bed, her three kids asleep, hopefully for the night. She walked, lists running through her head, grocery lists, birthday lists, reading lists, dates from the school newsletter and events from the church bulletin, books to add to her Goodreads wish list, and movies to her Netflix queue. She'd left in a huff. The year's calendar finally filled out with vacations and anniversaries and ceremonies. She was booked. The year was only a month old, but she'd be lucky to find a free weekend before next January. She walked. She didn't care where. Away. Away from the times and dates. Away from the small boxes lined in neat rows, each scribbled with pieces of her fate. Her fingers tingled. She should have dug out her thicker gloves. She walked block after block, arriving finally at the lake. Bixler sat white and smooth, the moon bright above. The wind drove curtains of powder across the frozen surface. Molly didn't want to stop or turn back. Determined, she walked onto the ice. 
She didn't know how far across it was. She didn't care. Her fingers grew numb, but she boiled within. She wanted to scream. Across the ice, she walked, unseen, the relentless forward momentum cooling her frustration until she stopped in the middle of the lake, aware of the great emptiness around her. She turned and saw the library, dark and picturesque. She looked up. The sky was black and filled with stars. She stared at them. Even in a small town like Kendallville, the stars got eaten up by streetlights and headlights and house lights. Here in the middle of the ice, they shone like cold crystals. They reminded her of nights when she was a child, when she was supposed to be sleeping, and stared at the stick-on stars on her ceiling and dreamed. She turned, a familiar sound calling to her. The heavy rhythm of a train filled the silence, and she saw the bright light of its passing. She knew its next stop was Waterloo, but she remembered suddenly how she used to sit on the bench at the top of the hill and watch the trains and imagine riding across the world. The train drifted away and the wind grew cold. Molly found herself in the barren night, beneath a myriad of twinkling eyes in a sky that had always existed and didn't seem possible. This was what she needed. More than food, more than sleep. She needed the sparkle of a far-off world. She needed a train with endless destinations. She needed a white expanse in a busy life where she might remember what moved beneath the surface of the world. She stood there for what seemed a long time, five minutes perhaps, and turned back home happy. Open at the New Year. Dear Future Self, if you're reading this, you made it through another year. Congratulations! If you're not reading this, you're probably dead. Sorry about that. It's January, and if you're anything like me, and I'm betting you are, you're feeling pensive. It's dark, and it's cold, and most mornings you just want to sink a little deeper into your warm cocoon of covers and throw the alarm out the window. And yet you feel you must dream and plan and expect great things out of the new year. Because, let's face it, last year wasn't that great. Yes, I know I haven't lived the year yet, and maybe it was great. Maybe you won the lottery or got married and landed your dream job. You know, the one where you get paid $100,000 just to take pictures of exotic places and write clever articles and star on your own YouTube channel. But notwithstanding these possibilities, I expect... No, I know that in some way the year has failed you. Even if you have a hot girl now, I'm guessing she has some unforeseen deficiency like an inability to truly appreciate your awesomeness at all times. Anyway, last year wasn't that great. You misspit your money, or a friend got mad, or your job still sucks, or someone died. Maybe it wasn't a dumpster fire, maybe you had lots of great memories, but it's January and the pressure's on. This needs to be the best year ever. I understand. I really do. And even after a year of Netflix and Instagram and late nights on Steam, you feel even further behind. There's too much to watch, to read, to visit, to buy, to experience. It's paralyzing. But I am writing to you, dear self, to remind you of something I have forgotten again and again. Maybe I never knew it. I'm afraid you won't remember it either. There was a storm last night. Do you remember that storm? The electricity has been off all day and there's a travel advisory. I've been huddling beneath five blankets trying to keep warm. 
have only a little milk, some bread, and half a bottle of ketchup. My phone's dead, and when I look out the window at the blowing snow, I think I never want to go outside again. And so I've been alone and cold in the silence as the wind gnashes its teeth. I found myself sitting, just sitting, and thinking, sometimes not even thinking, just being, and I found I've forgotten silence and thinking and being. I'm a little afraid of it, and of the weather, and of my absurd imaginings of freezing to death my little house. It's also tentative these days and minutes. And I remembered, for the first time in years, how I would ride my bike around the block as a child and sing, sing these made-up songs. Do you remember? I hope you do. Sometimes these songs were prayers, just words to God, little impromptu hymns, because I was happy with the wind and the motion and the weather and the time. Just empty time, circling the block, alive and free and never bored. So I write to you, future self, to remind you of this cold January day, when you sang, just a little, in your living room to an old tune that maybe you know better now. You sang to Jesus, and you laughed, embarrassed, but you felt happy and not alone, despite the cold, despite the bare and empty day. And you wondered if it could happen again, if the year were not so important as the day, the goals not so vital as the tune you hummed beneath your breath. Perhaps you can write and tell me. Sincerely, your past self. When reality seems like a fairy tale. A divine being powerful enough to create a vast universe of stars, massive globes of gas and flames, and planets, smaller globes of rock and gas, that support a single planet overflowing with intricately designed life, later, many years after the initial act of creation, becomes a tiny human fetus, a fragile lump of flesh hidden inside a young woman's womb. Ridiculous, unthinkable. And yet it is true. And there the wonder begins. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. Silent night, holy night.
Well, we hope you enjoyed that. I know it was rather different for our podcast. Yes, I, I think it was a nice collection. That was Tim's uh, ordering. I thought it was a good one. We still enjoy experimenting with the format of this podcast. And, of course, we want to give a special thanks to everyone who helped us read, including... Uh, Marcy Trish for the monologue. Brianna Hayden for Ring uh, the Bell. Along with you. Along with me. The White Expanse is read by Natasha Hayden. And uh, um, Timothy Beal. Well, ran. I think you know. <laughs> and then, of course, my sister Joanna Smith for uh, singing Silent Night at the end there. So thank you to everyone for participating in that. Nick, I guess it's time for us to bow out. Hopefully this is not too short of an episode, but uh, hopefully just the right length to get you in the mood for Christmas this year. Yes. I'd like to explore this line a little bit before we leave. Yes. It looks delicious. Yes. I mean, it looks beautiful. And yes. Hopefully the the... That sugar plum fairy over there doesn't think I'm going to eat her or something. She's kind of glaring at me right now. <laughs> you don't want to get a fairy mad at you. Better than them dancing in your head. <laughs> That's true. I can be. I had that happen one time. It was really throbbing. <laughs> 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 to, uh, to close us out here. Well, first we should do some contact info. Remember, you can uh, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. And also we're, we are on YouTube. Check us out there. We've got a playlist of all of our Christmas music soundtracks that we've done in years past so if you're looking for an unusual uh, oc remix filled playlist of christmas music you might want to check that out you can visit us on our website at derailtrainthethought.blogspot.com and if you need something else to listen to during your christmas break we have the weekly hijack going through Babylon five and we're midway almost midway through now well as the first half of season three season three that's what's currently coming out right now and of course Babylon five is available on amazon prime not a sponsor <laughs> Okay, now that we've gotten all that yes. through, uh, my soundtrack is a remix from Sonic and the Black Knight. This is called The Icy Journey Through Hope and Sorrow. Again, kind of a different... I would not normally pick this as a, for a Christmas episode, even though it does have some sleigh bells in it. But I figured, given our kind of pensive, thoughtful uh, excursion through bits of stories, uh, it might be a good fit. This is done by Argyle and Cosmic Prism. I think that's a very interesting pair. I, I kind of picture like a lumberjack and a, a fairy, one of these fairies. Yeah. Nice. So I don't know. I, I hope that's what they look like <laughs> in real life. Anyway, thank you for joining us. We hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Yes, and a Happy New Year. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Bye.